I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet today about the latest terrorist attack in Europe, this time in Manchester, where a jihadi targeted kids, really, leaving an Ariana Grande concert. Uh, 22 people died. Many, many more were injured. That The death count will likely rise. An, an obvious tragedy. But the, the bee in my bonnet really comes down to the banality of this. And it seems we have internalized jihad terrorism. Now, this is a solo op. I don't even know if I'm going to release this. It's just me, Ryan Teichler, no Mike Mon. Because whenever I say these things, I typically can't find a seconder. But that's okay. I don't need a seconder. My own opinions are enough for me, and I claim the right to have them offended, defended against any consensus, any majority, any place, anywhere, anytime. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get in line, and kiss my ass. Now, what started this was I woke up this morning. I saw on the news before I went to, went to bed last night uh, about the attack. But when I woke up this morning, as I typically do, I checked the Washington Post online. And they led with a story that Trump had potentially urged intelligence community members, leaders of the American intelligence community, to put out a statement that he didn't wasn't under investigation or didn't collude with the Russians or whatever. I didn't effing read it. But the point is, a major city in Europe was a victim again of another terrorist attack. And that didn't even lead the news. The New York Times, if any of you guys listen to... Michael Barbaro's The Daily, the daily podcast that the New York Times puts out. This morning, they gave the terrorist attack one and a half minutes to close the podcast. In a 20 plus minute show, they devoted about a minute and a half to it. Why is that? Are we getting to a point where we've accepted this? That this is just what's going to happen in going forward for the rest of our lives in the West? It, it can't. Guys, it can't. And the thing that really drives me nuts is the fact that this debate is getting so boring. Because it happens again and again and again. And everyone resorts to their own talking points and won't confront the truth. Okay, and I had a long and rather heated text exchange with Mr. The Snake, Michael The Snake Mon, where we disagreed on this. But something has to change. And his whole point was, well, it's just bad people teaching a bad ideology. And my counterpoint to that was, you're exactly right. 
So is the answer to bring more of this into our societies? To allow Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia to spend more money constructing mosques and using their oil wealth, which we give them, mind you, in a large part, to pump this Wahhabist ideology throughout the country and throughout the world, really. I mean, look what they did with Nigeria. Do you want us to be the next Nigeria? Now, in the, the text exchange, I made this point that... Say so. I, I granted Michael everything, and I feel bad. You're talking about a an exchange with him without him on here on here to defend his points, but I wanted to um, maybe protect him against the uh, opprobrium that will likely be hurled my way. Is let's just say there's bad ideas being being taught to bad people. Let's just say it's happening. In Northern Virginia, say there was one church in Northern Virginia that produced seven murderous racists who went around killing black people like like Dylan Roof, like the, the Charleston uh, church shooter. Imagine they all came from the same church just down the street. We would all demand that that church be shut down and the preacher be thrown in jail. That couldn't be a coincidence. And yet there is a mosque in Northern Virginia that has more than seven jihadis that came out of it, and it's still in operation. Politicians go to it. It's called Darl Hijra. While I was in high school, not too far away from there, Anwar al-Awlaki was the imam. This is during 9-11. Anwar al-Awlaki was a al-Qaeda recruiter. And he's not the only one. Nadal Hassan, the Fort Hood shooter. He went there. <laughs> Two of the 9-11 hijackers, they went there. We're already up to four. And I haven't even you know, pulled up the, the Wikipedia page or looked at any sort of research. Now, look, I'm not for shutting down immigration from any Muslim society. No, that's, that's not what we want. Some of these people are, by, shin, uh, by dent of sheer bad luck, are some of the most desperate people in the world. And they need our help. But at some point, it has to come with a limit. I mean, you, you look at the guy who was the perpetrator of this attack in Manchester. His parents were Libyan refugees. Great Britain welcomed them with open arms. I'm sure he got a fine public education. And yet, how did he repay them? How did he repay the country that welcomed his family? By blowing up their kids. Now, I want to read to you two things. And this is where I think I, some of the confusion lies, right? Because this is not me saying this. I'm going to read you two things from ISIS. One of them is from Dabiq Magazine. Okay, don't open Dabiq Magazine, but other, because it's a jihadi, um, 
propaganda glossy, but various think tanks re- reprint these things. The first one's from Dobbick called Why We Hate You. This was written by an American, mind you, from Texas, who became radicalized and went over to join ISIS. We hate you first and foremost because you are disbelievers. You reject the oneness of Allah, whether you realize it or not. By making partners for him in worship, you blaspheme against him. Claiming that he is a son, you fabricate lies against his prophets and his messengers, and you indulge all manners of devilish practices. We can skip ahead just a bit. The fact is, even if you were to stop bombing us, imprisoning us, torturing us, vilifying us, and usurping our lands, we would continue to hate you because our primary reason for hating you will not cease to exist until you brace Islam. Even if you were to pay the jizya and live under the authority of Islamic humiliation, we would continue to hate you. End quote. Now, jizya is essentially an, a, a tax that um, under Islamic law, the people book, which are mostly the Jews and Christians and also Astro, uh, Zoroastrians, excuse me, um, have to pay is, is more protection money. Um, and what's more, they have to feel themselves subdued. So within this ISIS uh, piece of literature, we said live under humil- humiliation. That's also part of Islamic law. The point of me reading this is this is who we're up against. It's not greasy Islamophobes who are saying these things. No, this is is the battle. These are the people we need to defeat. This is the ideology we need to defeat. And the only way we can defeat it is by saying it exists and saying that they have a plausible interpretation of Islam. It is the worst possible interpretation we can ever have. Anyone can ever have. It's Muslim and non-Muslim alike. The, the vast majority of uh, victims of terrorism are Muslim. ISIS's interpretation is terrible for everyone. But we need to fight it. And it is their interpretation of Islam. There is something to do with Islam and terrorism. That's it. End of story. And it's so obvious. And yet the obfuscation that is thrown around after every single terrorist attack does nothing to help change this. It does nothing to help the Muslim reformers who are saying some of the same exact things that I'm saying. So this isn't just me ranting. I want to read you something else and I'll pull it up in a second here on my phone but it was the um, statement that the Islamic State released shortly after the, um, the bombing. And it reads pretty similarly. It reads as such. With Allah's grace and support, a soldier of the Caliph managed to place an explosive device in the midst of the gathering of the Crusader in the British city of Manchester, 
in revenge for Allah's religion, in an endeavor to terrorize those who worship others besides Allah, and in response to their transgressions against the lands of the Muslims, the explosive devices were detonated in the shameless concert area, resulting in 30 crusaders being killed, 70 others being wounded. And what comes next will be even more severe on the worshippers of the cross. By Allah's permission and all praises due to Allah, Lord of the creation. Again, this isn't me. I'm not saying it. They are. And they are using religion to justify it. These people really believe it. They believe that the Quran is the literal word of God. It is the literal dictation of the creator of the universe. Within this text is a few, actually a lot of really bad passages. The one that gives rise to suicide bombing, and I don't have my copy of the Quran in front of me, but I've read it and I believe you guys should all too, is, and this is just relatively from memory, I'll have to pull up the exact passage, is it is incumbent upon Allah to grant into paradise those who are killed or kill in the name of Allah. Which means that God has to grant paradise to anyone who is either killed or kills in pursuit of Allah, in the name of Allah. If you believe that this is the commandment of the creator of the universe, the one person who could grant you either an eternity of heaven or an eternity of hell, this is really important. And my point is people really believe this. This is the ideology we're fighting against, guys. And until we admit it, we're doomed. If you look at, just follow Tommy Robinson on Twitter, if you could. Tommy Robinson is the, the founder of the English Defense League, a vocal critic of Islam. He's been on the forefronts of the fight against uh, grooming gangs in, in uh, the UK and the spread of Islamism within. If you just looked at his mentions after the bombing, you would think he let off the bomb. He isn't the problem, guys. People who are fighting against jihad terror and the spread of its ideology are not the problem. Now, it's kind of an auspicious timing for Douglas Murray, a British author, neoconservative, um, very, very sharp conservative uh, thinker. If, if you guys, I know most of you guys are liberal, but if you want to read the other position, he just published a book called The Strange Death of Europe. And it opens like this. Europe is committing suicide. And he goes on to argue that by importing the world's people, we may in fact be importing the world's problems. He cited a poll, a YouGov poll in the UK, where they asked for the general sentiments of, of a number of different things. 
One of them was their stance on homosexuality. Now, you thought this would ferret out some uh, homophobes in the rural parts of of the UK, the the backward parts, right? But no, 14% of the population, the overall population of Great Britain is quite tolerant and accepting of homosexuals, except in major cities, completely debunking the idea that the more multiculturalism you get, the more inclusive everyone is going to be, the more tolerant, the more liberal. It turns out that's not true. The, the question becomes, look, in Europe and in some small cases in the United States, they are trying something, a grand experiment, by importing a different culture, actually hundreds of different cultures, from around the world, from very bad places around the world. And they're betting that by bringing them into Europe, everything will change. That they will become liberalized. That they will believe in freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of sexuality, freedom of marriage. What if they're wrong? What if they're wrong? It's the death of Europe. And people who look around their community and see it change beyond recognition in a generation who raise their hand and say, hey guys, this might not be a bad idea. They can't be called racist. They can't be called Islamophobe. They have a point. Okay? And shutting this point down by yelling racism and Islamophobia and whatever you want to yell is a serious problem. And it's not just a philosophical problem of wanting to and needing to hear other people's points of view. I'm sorry to keep going back to the UK, but current events being as they are, this caused, this was complicit in the rape of an entire generation of girls from a town in northern, outside of London, about an hour north of London, called Rotherham. Read the Rotherham Report, and you will be sick. Over 1,400 girls were systematically raped, mostly by Pakistani men, and everyone knew it. The MPs knew it. The local police knew it. The imams knew it. Child Protective Services knew it. For years, And they did nothing. Why did they do nothing? Because they were concerned about being called racist. Which makes them complicit in the rape of an entire generation of girls. And if you just break down the numbers, this is a town of 200,000 people. Okay? That means there's 100,000 women. Which means 40% of them are rapeable right within the 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 age window do do the math it's a huge percentage and imagine the people who knew those people and what's more do the math on the pakistani male population in that town and it's probably not a one to one ratio there's probably more than 1400 everyone knew and did nothing 
except for Tommy Robinson, who was thrown in jail. <laughs> the first person thrown in jail tangentially related to the Rotherham grooming gang sex ring was Tommy Robinson. Let let that this is true. Let this thing sink in. This is true. Okay. My rant is over. Oh, I've given you 20 minutes. I don't know if I'm going to post this. I'll probably send it to Michael first. If he gives me the thumbs up, you'll be hearing it. Something's got to change, guys. I'm just too tired of, of seeing this. And it's happening more and more and more. And it's going to come closer and closer to us. And I don't want it to. All right, guys. Talk to you later.